This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated Star Trek books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones, and joining me once again this week, as he always is, is my esteemed co-host and knower of all things Trek Lit, Mr. Matthew Rushing. Matthew, how's everything going this week? Uh, well, it was going great, Chris, until you just gave me that uh, very um, presumptuous title, um, <laughs> and now I feel completely inadequate. Um, you know, oh, I, come I, on. I, I know a, a, a lot of things, but there's, I mean, <laughs> just go to the Trek BBS boards, um, yeah. and uh, you will find people who have read a book maybe like 25 years ago that can still recall every plot point. You know, I'm I'm lucky if I remember you know plot points from a book you know four or five years ago. So I um because I read so much. I think those people are actually Borg drones, and that's how they have such complete knowledge of the literature. They've assimilated it, could, it yeah. all. Uh, it could be that, um, or uh, you know, I, I maybe they're just like Vulcans where they just kind of retain everything, um, and yeah. so. Uh, yeah, you know, we, we, we noticed, uh, last week when, when we're talking to, to Greg Cox that Spock and Seven of Nine have a lot in common. So, yeah, they just retain a lot of, or they could be androids too, you know? Oh, uh, that's true. Data yeah. has a lot of info. I mean, he can read really fast. Well, one thing we know for sure is that they are not Packlids. No, no. Or, you know, whoever, whatever that race was that the Darmok was, because I can't imagine them trying to tell you the plot of a book because they're already telling you the plot of a book by telling, talking to you, you know, so. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're not Packwoods for sure. They're not, they're yeah. not those guys, the Temerians like uh, uh, Darmok yeah, yeah. either. Yeah. If they good. were Packwoods, they would say words. You make sentences go. Oh, so good. Talk you. Now I just sound like Yoda. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. Good talk, you. <laughs> well, Matthew, compared to me, you are nowhere of all things Trek lit. Well, you, thank you, you very much, Chris. Much, much more than I do about this stuff. But I do my best to keep up. And let's go ahead and jump into the news here and find out what things we should be knowing about this week. And the first one is Judge a Book Bites cover. That's right, Chris. We're going to boom, chicka, boom. Boom, ding, boom, 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 gonna judge. Boom, boom, a book. Boom, boom, gonna buy its cover. Boom, 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 so we can know what'll be inside. It'll be so fun. We're gonna get it right. We're gonna judge a book by its cover. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. It was, it was like a little Michael Jackson infused ditty. A little uh, bit there, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was well, feeling it. 
The book that we're judging by its cover this week is Michael A. Martin's Seasons of Light and Darkness, which is an original series book set in the movie era. And when you added this cover to the project yesterday, Matthew, I saw it come through. I got email notification. I was working on something else and I stopped and I was actually stunned by this cover. It is beautiful. You know, Chris, I like it too. Um, and I, I think, you know, for me, if you put the refit enterprise on anything, I'm going to be a fan. Um, yeah. it is my favorite starship. It is just drop dead gorgeous. Um, you know, is this a perfect cover? No, it's an E novella cover. Um, just like all the others, it's not quite as polished, but it really is nice. I, I like the nebula work in the background. Mm -hmm. Um, I really like the, the, the enterprise. Yeah. So the, the, um, you know, you got your shadows here. They're probably not right on the ship, but I I, just, I don't care. It's the refit Enterprise, and it just looks beautiful. And knowing that this book as well is going to be about uh, McCoy uh, also makes me excited because you know how much I enjoy Leonard H. McCoy. And so um, I'm excited. I'm really excited this is coming out. And um, honestly, you know, of all of the covers that we've gotten recently for novellas, I think this is one of the best um, that we have gotten in that series. So, Chris, I would say that this is sufficiently exciting. I agree. This gets my stamp of sufficiently exciting as well. You know, blue is my favorite color. Purple's probably next after that. So the blue and the purple nebula behind my favorite Enterprise, the movie Refit Enterprise, just like you this I could have a poster of this and put it right over my computer. I would be very happy. Well, next, Chris, we have something. We're not quite sure if it is another City on the Edge of Forever cover for the new Harlan Ellison um, book. It it, it looks um, like it is something that they're doing. I wonder if they're just going to, you know, keep making covers for this <laughs> um, because uh they've made a lot so far. This one definitely <laughs> yeah. looks like those old Star Trek books. Yeah, yeah, I guess, you know, it doesn't say anywhere on here right now, IDW, it doesn't have any of the normal information that you would have on the cover. It just says Star Trek, Harlan Ellison's The City on the Edge of Forever, the original teleplay from the winner of eight Hugo Awards and four Nebula Awards. So it could be a cover from the book release of the teleplay which has been put out before but it also has red lines around it which i don't know if they're part of the artwork or if they're part of the mock-up because they almost look like trim marks in spots uh, and, and guides like you would have if you were doing a layout so so i'm not sure it is really cool it does uh you know look like an old cover uh from the day and Maybe we're going to get this comic and the first 20 pages are just going to be different variation covers. Yeah. Well, this one was <laughs> posted by one of the IDW editors and um, it does kind of look a little bit like one of those Juan Ortiz covers, but it also reminds me of the, the nice work uh, or it reminds me of those old school Star Trek books, you know, the like yeah. Star Log one star log two you know right, uh, it kind of right. has that feel to it as well and so i mean it's it's nice it's 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 uh i think well done artwork and it definitely fits with that kind of like 60s 70s mindset as well so it is definitely sufficiently exciting i have no idea 
exactly why they're creating this one, but I do like it. I wonder if, if they're creating many, many, many different covers and, and then from that, they're going to finally choose what's going to be the real cover for the, just, just the standard uh, comic shop cover. I, I, I don't know that this is a rather large number of covers to be coming out in quick succession. It really is. Um, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not sure why it could just be, um, like you said, they're, they're kind of getting gauging fan reaction and then they'll find yeah. the one that's the best and then they'll take like the an unofficial just, vote. Yeah. In a way. Um, and, and a lot of times, you know, um, in these uh, big comic releases, um, you'll have background pages, you know, that have background artwork that, uh, or, um, you know, uh, test artwork that they had done and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, so it would definitely either be something I think that you get in the back of each of the, the books or, you know, when they put together the big trade, uh, book for this, that they would do mm-hmm. something like that. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, all the artwork that's been coming out around this has, has been really, uh, well done. Uh, you can tell that IDW is putting a lot of time and effort into this and marketing this as well. So. You know, Matthew, what I would do if I were IDW as a promotion, because this is a really big deal with Harlan Ellison and this original script, I would take some of these great covers that they're doing, make posters out of them as a promotion at Star Trek Las Vegas. Yeah, I I could definitely see them doing something like that. I don't know why you wouldn't. Um, you know, that what a great way to to get people excited, um, and then uh, to to you know really want um, these comics. I mean, I think. The fan reaction has already been big for what they're talking about here with um, bringing Harlan Ellison's um, vision to life here. It's it's already created quite a stir in the fan community, so I I definitely would not be surprised to see something like that happen. Um, And, uh, you know, do it as a special for those people who come to to Vegas and give them a, a reason for, you know, getting the exclusives. And so... Yeah, I'm 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 really excited about that. It does look like this will be coming out in June, so that does kind of correspond with Star Trek okay. Las Vegas uh, being. Um, yeah. Isn't it in August this year again? It's in August, so yeah, yeah. Be a little so, but but this is a five comic difference. series, so it'll right. only be halfway done by the time That's they right. get to that. So yeah, yeah. So you could you could promote a little bit there as well. So yeah, that, that would be cool. I'd love to see that myself. Okay, so moving on to the next item here, we we know that and. We actually have had David Mack on the show not too long ago, and we talked a little bit about this novel, the Section 31 novel Disavowed. And we've got a blurb. It says, Section 31, no law, no conscience, no mercy. Sounds like a line for Batman. No law, (laughs) no conscience, no mercy. You know, Section 31, they like to wear black. Batman likes to wear black. Yes. Do you think Batman is actually a Section 31 agent? You know, that would make a lot of sense that he is a temporal agent from Section 31 in the past in Gotham City just trying to clean it up. Uh, seems like they could have sent back more people. I don't know, but uh, this makes a lot of sense now. But who's Robin in this case? Uh, Sloan? I don't <laughs> oh, Robin is Sloan? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's a good question. <laughs> well, I'm glad Sloan never wore, you know, tights like Robin when he was on DS9. This is true. Um, that would have been a, a bad thing. 
So. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, the blurb goes on to say, amoral, shrouded in secrecy, and answerable to no one. Section 31 is the mysterious Covert Operations Division of Starfleet, a rogue shadow group committed to safeguarding the Federation at any cost. Dr. Julian Bashir sacrificed his career for a chance to infiltrate Section 31 and destroy it from within. Now it's asking him to help it stop the Breen from stealing a dangerous new technology from the Mirror Universe, one that could give the Breen control of the galaxy. It's a mission Bashir can't refuse, but is it really the shot he's been waiting for? Or is it a trap from which even his genetically enhanced intellect can't escape? All right, so what do you think? Mirror Universe coming into play here. Well, I do know that this is going to have some elements from David Mack's other Mirror Universe book, Rise Like Lions. So if Mm -hmm. you haven't read that book, you may want to at least familiarize yourself with some of the plot points because some of that's going to play into this book. Um, I think it's it's an interesting idea. Um, You know, definitely seems very Julian Bashir. And yeah, this is this is pretty exciting and, and makes me wonder, too. So if if Julian Bashir uh, stops the Breen from destroying the galaxy, you think they'll let him back in Starfleet? Hmm. Like, you know, when Kirk, you know, he saves planet Earth and the Federation president and everybody, you know, they demote him, but they give right. him back the Enterprise, but a new one. Yeah, I think they would tell Julian just like they told Kirk. Your first best destiny is to be a doctor. And so we're going to give you back your infirmary. Well, and, and obviously, I mean, the guy with a few other scientists was able to crack the code on the Andorian crisis as well. So, I mean, he's no slouch in the brains department. I mean, this this guy can apparently pull miracles out of his patootie. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, we're... This is this is somebody that uh, should definitely be back in in Starfleet. So uh, I'll be interested. I mean, you know, you got his character kind of on his own right now. You've got Data's character on his own right now. Um, you know, you keep spinning people off, and uh, we're gonna get uh, I don't know. We're gonna get lost, you know, in the series without so many of the characters we kind of know and love. And that's kind of that yeah. hard thing you got to do in in um, tie-in literature. You know, you. You have to keep the characters people know in, in, a, in a lot of ways, and you can't change them too much or, uh, you know, people get lost. Um, right. So it's it's a it's a fine line, but I'm really interested to see this. I know David Mack, it's in it's in good hands. Um, and, you know, with the Mirror Universe, he could kill as many people as he wants, you know, and it's there's really no consequences there. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's had whole galaxies destroyed, you know. He had the board come in and wipe out billions of people. So... Uh, I think the death toll on this one might be pretty big. Well, David Max writing it, so. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll, we'll look forward to that. And one more thing here, Matthew. I, I'm really curious to know what you think about this. This is Cross Cult's Refit Voyager. And uh, you found this image on the from the German publisher Cross Cult and... It shows the quantum slipstream enabled refit USS Voyager. What what's your take on this? You know, Chris, um, it it's it's not bad. Um, you know, uh, Daniel's gonna love it because the nacelles are huge. Oh yeah. Um, and you know how Daniel loves his huge nacelles. 
You can never um, it, have missiles that are too big, according um, to him. Apparently, for Daniel, that's the case. Um, for me, you can, uh, a.k.a. the JJ Prize. Uh, yep, way here. too big of an sales. Just doesn't make sense. Um, now, I do think what's really interesting is that this takes into account um, some of the mock-ups for Voyager before they went with what they did, especially in the nacelle range. Um, with the way the nacelles are shaped going forward now, um, the pylons are going forward. It doesn't look like they move anymore. And uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's really not all that different except for um, your... Uh, pylons and your nacelles other than that it's it's quite similar um it has larger yeah. impulse engines on the back um it looks like it's probably been beefed up armament wise um but other than that it's it's pretty similar um it still looks like a, a little bit like a dustbuster. it does have that that strange thing on the back here where you can see inside the huge huge it's kind of like a hydroponics bay but apparently they're growing coffee in there now <laughs> yeah, I think I think they do have some coffee plants um, because, you know, Janeway just was really worried that she was going to get lost in the Delta Quadrant again and yeah. not have any uh, coffee plants. In fact, you know, in the new book, um, you know, she's on the Vesta and uh, that the newest uh, slipstream drive um, ship, the same as the Aventine class. Yeah. Uh, and so which is actually the Vesta class. Okay, don't write me. I know what I'm talking about. Um, and uh, that's a pretty big ship right there. It's it's a, a quite a comparable to an Enterprise E size. So I'm pretty sure she has her own coffee plants as well. But I think she Probably. sprinkled them throughout yeah. the fleet just to be safe. Probably. And this is where the term Vestachino comes from. It does. She makes a great Vestachino. <laughs> So no, there there are no coffee plants in this in this um, refit that we're looking at here. But yeah, I don't know. I I'm not a big fan of this personally. It, it's probably largely for two reasons. One is that after watching seven seasons of Voyager, you become very accustomed to what Voyager looks like, and this to me looks like a rejected design for the Enterprise E. It just feels like it feels more similar to the Enterprise E design than than it does to somehow a refit of, of Voyager. And it does. Um I don't know. It yeah, just doesn't think, quite feel yeah, balanced. I think they went overboard with the nacelles. It's just really the yeah. deal. Um it doesn't it just doesn't fit Voyager um well enough i don't think i i think it just is so off balance again it's it's kind of mm -hmm. like you stuck some jj nacelles there right um, because that's the problem with the jj enterprise right is that there's just no balance in that design from the nacelles to the saucer to the hull it all feels wrong yeah it feels like somebody's kind of like smushed and then pulled yeah. at certain places so it's all out of out of alignment you know that was right. what made the uh enterprise refit so beautiful is that every line was perfect and of course it also kind of has that art deco feel to it as yeah. well that it just it grabs you you know you you can't mm -hmm. go wrong with that design and so um I, I think there was, and, and, and two, you know, you look at Matt Jeffrey's original design and it has the, that kind of precision in threes, you know, mm -hmm, and, and mm -hmm. just 
how everything lines up and is centered and, and just is, you know, perfect when you look at it from every angle and the way that it's it's done. You know, they did the same thing with the refit. Um, and, you know, I think once you got to the Enterprise D all of a sudden, it was just like everything is a little bit like off, you know, yeah, and then you get back the, to the Enterprise E and it looks back in proportion again. Right. So I don't know. Because the D is really beautiful from certain angles and it looks terrible from other angles. Yeah. It just kind of looks like a dying walrus from certain angles. I mean, <laughs> from it just, certain angles. yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, it, it's going to be interesting. I, I'm sure we'll get a lot of comments on our Starship talk here. Um, oh, I think which so. I should yeah. say, you know, uh, you, you, you also had say the, uh, Excelsior class, which was also very beautiful. It, it has some great lines, uh, especially the, the Enterprise B version um, looked very good, I thought. It, it, again, very classic. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have some great Starship design. Um, in fact, personally, um, I really do enjoy the new Aventine. Um, I think it's a really cool, sleek-looking ship. It make it, it, it just kind of seems to fit with something you would have a slipstream in, you know, because it's all right. sleek and it, it feels looks like, like a, a shark on the prow. Yes, a shark, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This Voyager just kind of looks like a pelican that's drunk <laughs> a so, drunk pelican <laughs> yeah. so, can you see it with a big bill in the front you know and then the wings just kind of out there just flapping around oh i wish we were doing video so people could see what you just did <laughs> oh, oh goodness. Destroy that. all right well we'll put a link in the show notes to this anyway so you can you can go take a look and see what yeah so definitely thanks to the trek collective for for picking that up and um it's it's interesting you know uh, in fact on the truck bbs um just the other day uh, some of the people were talking about they'd like to see more of these ships you know we mm-hmm. have described especially that are in the voyager camp now you know being in the delta quadrant they had these new ships and what they looked like um so i'm glad that somebody at least is giving us an idea of what these ships are looking like because we don't see them that often um and they don't really put you know they don't necessarily create new starships just to put on a cover most of the time, unless it's going to be the like time, yeah. the Titan, you know, um, right. which talk about huge ship. nacelles. Sure. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we'll put a link in the show notes and you can go check that out. Well, that's everything we have in news for today. Before we jump into our feature, we'd like to tell you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. Audible is the best source for audiobooks you'll find online. They have more than 150,000 titles for you to choose from, and they're adding hundreds of new titles every week in a wide range of categories. And we like to recommend a book to you every week. And today, I'm actually going to go non-Star Trek here with the book because... Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But Matthew, we talked about The City on the Edge of Forever and Harlan Ellison just a moment ago. And if you're not familiar with Harlan Ellison's other work outside of The City on the Edge of Forever, he was a great author, a great short story writer as well. And he is a really fun narrator if you hear him read his short stories. And they have two volumes of his work on Audible called The Voice from the Edge, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Now, The Voice from the Edge, Volume 1, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream, has six hours and ten minutes of Harlan Ellison narrating his own short stories. And this volume includes the title right there, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream, also Laugh Track, Grail, Repent, Harlequin, said the TikTok man. 
the very last day of a good woman, paladin of the lost hour, the time of the eye, the lingering scent of wood smoke, and a boy and his dog. And it's it's a great way to... I love science fiction short stories, sometimes more than novels, really, just because I, I love that very concise way of storytelling. And again, like I said, Harlan Ellison is really fun to listen to when he narrates. So I'd like to recommend this book today. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice. So you can get The Voice from the Edge, Volume 1, absolutely free, just for trying Audible. And the way you do that is go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up. Choose this book, and if at the end of your trial period you decide not to stick with Audible, you get to keep the book. That's yours, so nothing to lose, but I know you're going to love it, and you're going to love audiobooks if you love podcasts, so go check it out, and your support of Audible helps us keep literary treks coming to you every week. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we really thank Audible for their support of literary treks and the network. Chris, we got something really fun tonight. Um, IDW, a few years back, did a comic series called Alien Spotlight. And they actually did two different runs of this. They did a first run that has seven comics in it, and then they did a second run with five. Um, They do a bunch of different Star Trek aliens. Um, There's only one alien group that actually gets reprised in each run, and that would be the... Romulans, and for all of you who probably already know, and some of you who might not know, John Byrne was responsible for the Romulan run there, those two comics, and then he actually went on to do more Romulan comics, which became very popular. And so the first miniseries that they did included um, such races as the Borg, Andorians, Gorn, Orions, Cardassians, Vulcans, Romulans. And so tonight, we decided that we would cover the Borg, Andorians, and Cardassians. And the next week, we will finish the rest of the series. Now, um, as I said, there are two different parts to this, Chris. And the first part is actually only on um, digitally on IDW. If you wanted the second volume, the, the volume that involved like Tribbles and Klingons and the Q, uh, as well as Romulans, you actually have to go find that um, in a uh, paperback edition uh, because they do not have that available digitally. So hopefully IDW will make that available digitally soon because I'd really enjoy reading them. Uh, mm-hmm. Majority of what we read tonight, I, I at least artwork-wise and just our, um, the license that was taken, I was really impressed. So um, it was a lot of fun. We're actually going to start with the Borg comic, and so... Uh, Chris, um, just kind of your first impressions uh, when you open this up. What'd you think? Well, I was I was trepidatious because going into anything Borg related, uh, because of Voyager and how they just drove the Borg into the ground in the later seasons of that series, and then because we read a while back Brandon Braga's Hive series as well and what they did with the Borg there. I'm always trepidatious when I go into anything Borg related. I will say that I came out of this though, wishing that they had done this as a television episode because with the exception of a few points about the story that I thought were kind of silly and ridiculous, this is a, is a pretty interesting concept that they have here. And I think it would have made a great television episode, and I think it certainly would have made a better story than Endgame. 
Yeah, um, I, Chris, I, I agree with you. Um, on a whole, there's some some great concepts going on here. Some uh, very scary ideas for the Borg as well. Just uh, taking all that Voyager had done with them and and kind of making sense of it. Their 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 pursuit of perfection, uh, the Omega molecule, um, time travel in in first contact. They put all of that together and created one kind of cohesive idea of of destroying not just the Federation, but everything and turning everything Borg, um, which honestly, pretty freaky idea right. that the, the end goal was that everyone in the universe would be Borg. Right. And the way they do that, spoiler alert, if, you, if you're listening to this and you haven't read these, you might want to grab them and read them real quick. It doesn't take long to read them. They're all about 24 pages, each, each one of these. Uh, so we're going to talk about some of the story details here. The way that they do that is by sending a wave back through time that's going to erase everything and cause all sentient species in the galaxy to be born Borg in the first place, which is, is kind of weird because then they don't need to assimilate anymore. Yeah, it is um, actually just kind of... Um an ingenious idea, the fact that all their work would be done for them. And so um, the, the the comic kind of starts off and there's a child playing on, on a planet um, in, on Colony World uh, in Sector 3-0 of the Romulan Federation Neutral Zone. Yeah, and, it's one of those, um, you know, comic, like, let's make up a sector and planet. Kind exactly. Of I mean, so it yeah. always feels a little bit it it feels a little bit more like pulled out of thin air than it does when they do it on the television series or in a novel. Right. But I mean it it looks um what's funny is it just looks like Monument Valley um with right. some Adobe homes and a and a Well, I I like the idea that in a comic that they would draw something that still looks like they went right outside of Los Angeles to shoot this comic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Um but uh, so a little girl is reaching down for a ball and, and she says, you know, I can't find my mommy. She looks up at this this kind of menacing Borg figure and and they say, would you? She says, will you play with me? And the Borg says no and then lashes out. And immediately, though, I was struck by Chris, I think, just the artistic nature of what they're doing here. Um, yeah. Th- this is not a comic where they're going for um, perfect representation but they are going for an impression of, so basically an impression of the next generation, Voyager time period after first contact, that kind mm-hmm. of period, um, after maybe even the Dominion War. It's just, it's really, really cool, if you ask me. Yeah, I agree. Now, the next page, this this was interesting to me. They So, so the girl is being assimilated, right? She's going to be assimilated. They cut into space, and now it's Stardate 56344.5 now. And they cut to the USS Maverick, which apparently is John McCain and Sarah Palin's ship, Matthew. And that's that was my first thought when I heard the name USS Maverick. And then when they show the captain, the first officer inside, it just kind of confirmed my suspicion. Well, well, Chris, <laughs> it's okay, because they can see the Romulans from their house. That's right. So... From space, you know, you betcha. You know, that's okay. I can see the Romulans from my uh, from my starship. It's gonna be fine. 
Right. Their job is to keep an eye on them because they're right That's there. That's right. Their, you know, their, you got to do it. Right? Somebody's got to do it. Any funny business comes from the Romulans, uh, they'd be the first to know. Right. I just look right out the window. Don't even need the sensors. <laughs> <laughs> All oh, right, goodness. but but, but yeah. much like McCain and Palin's campaign, um, it came quickly to a crashing and burning end as the ship is destroyed by whatever uh, sort of anomaly is appearing all over the galaxy, thanks to this Borg plan to to send this wave back through time and destroy everything. Which leads to the next page where the USS Courageous, a Nebula-class starship, is conducting some sort of um, experiments, it looks like. They're receiving a distress call from a science vessel, and the next thing you know, it as well is being exploded. So, Mm -hmm. obviously, you know, this is the African-American captain, so this is Obama and his uh, Andorian first officer. Their campaign apparently does not go as well either. Just being a little fair and balanced, just so we don't get anybody really mad at uh, the the podcast for taking political sides. We're just joking, folks. It was just too easy. Yeah, it, was, it is. The true. joke was too easy. So. It really is with uh, with Sarah Palin, and I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. So, the courageous is destroyed, and then we jump to the USS Enterprise. Uh, first time we've seen uh, a cast that we we recognize. So. The Enterprise is there. And da- and Data looks a lot like Adam Sandler. He yeah. really does. He really does. Um, and so apparently they've been doing some sort of study, uh, and um, something has gone wrong with the dilithium samples they're getting back. And um, they're energizing. They're they're bringing the people back in the transporter room, and something happens and attacks Jordy which it's some sort of Borg technology, which is crazy. It comes out of his suit and starts transforming him, and something's about to go in his eye, which, goodness. the they're... And that thing is nasty. Did you zoom in on that corkscrew that's about to fly into his eye? Oh, yeah. It's it's really creepy. Um, it's It reminds me of that thing... Yeah, and which I'm sure they're doing it, that thing that comes straight at Picard's eye and first contact. It yeah. hits you know, actually pushes it in before it, you know, that cuts away. So, right. But this one is much nastier. Than yeah. That. Crazy. Um, so yeah. they, they, they take him to sick bay and they bring him in and, and they're checking him out. Luckily the, the Borg nanoprobes started adapting from Jordy's, um, cybernetic implants. And so mm-hmm. therefore since it's Starfleet technology, Beverly says that they'll be able to reverse it most likely a lot easier than they would have if it had been board technology, which is pretty yeah, convenient, which but you know, it seemed awfully convenient. Yeah, exactly. I read that and I was like, um, really? All right. If you say so, I have a feeling that these three pages right here, though, were your three favorite pages in the entire comic. They really are. Beverly looks fantastic in this comic. Um, she does. She really does. And so I, I really did enjoy this. Um, and again, just really in liking the artwork that we're doing, basically kind of impressions of the characters. I mean, so I know who's talking. I know what's going on. I know who the characters are. But it's not supposed to be spot on. It, it's it's artistic license creating mm-hmm. the mood, but it works really well, especially for this Borg comic that the colors are kind of muted. Um, everything is a little bit muted. Picard definitely has, for the most part, a very stern, like um, sad face, basically. Um, right. 
And so I, I just but you're never lost, right? You you know who's talking, and you know where the story's going, and you're following it just fine. Exactly. So it's really well done. And then the next thing that happens is that a a similar device flies out of Jordy's arm on the biobed and goes straight into Data's eye and like links with him. And, Which, and, and, and there's some connection that that was kind of creepy too, right? Because what's happening is it's it's the, all of the the Borg information is flooding into Jordy, and he's not able to handle it. So it's almost mm-hmm. as if you know, and in, in it seems is that Jordy is reacting by giving the information to somebody who can handle it, which is Data. Which you know, right. way to go, Jordy. That's pretty smart. And so, yeah. Well, I'm glad you got to that part, Matthew, because I was afraid that. At the bottom, page 11, I, I was afraid you were never going to get past that frame. Yes. Uh, if you get the comic, you'll know what it is. I'm just going to leave it as a surprise for you. <laughs> you'll thank me later. Um, and so All next right. scene so, we see so they interface, is that they And then are, they cut to Janeway. Which is great. I mean, again, hey, Janeway looks very nice in this comic as well. I, very, very well done in, in the drawing of her. They, she looks... She looks softer than she even does sometimes in the show. Like, um, not not quite well, as mean. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. The other thing I was thinking, the, my first thought was that I think she's gone on a diet because her her body seems smaller in proportion to her head than we are accustomed to. But then I realized that actually, probably, her head has literally grown. Along with her ego, oh, because she she's an admiral now. She's an admiral, and she's the Federation's Borg specialist. That is true. Janeway has definitely got a very big head here, and and they're talking about this idea <laughs> of what's happening, and what we talked about at the beginning that there is this big wave coming that this this wave of energy that the the Borg have created that is going to basically turn all that had ever existed into Borg, so that. It's a massive burst of temporal energy rewriting history so that all species are born Borg at the moment of their genetic inception. That is mm-hmm. freaky. Like, that—that that oh, is yes. their plan. It's an interesting concept. Right. And so they have decided that the only way to stop them is the Locutus Protocol, which they apologize to the Captain Picard for, um, but that they would crash a transwarp core inside a pulsar which would cycle a antimatter tachyons through time apparently and the anti-tachyon wave crashes into the Borg counterpart and neutralizes it there's a lot of techno babble this made no sense to me yeah it it was very much a, a voyager techno babble solution to this problem it didn't make any sense to me now we we should point out here that we learn about this plan through a very extensive PowerPoint presentation as part yeah, of a staff it's, meeting. It's it's that wonderful. Is, uh, it's, given it's, by Janeway. It's got um, PowerPoint. It also looks like um, it's in 3D as well, like a mm-hmm. a 3D holographic thing going on, and and so it's really cool. So I got to give it to them. They're they're doing a great job here. I'm surprised Tuvok is not involved along with Jordy. <laughs> right. That they were just yeah. kind of like, you know, unfortunately, well, Jordy is in sickbay. 
right. you know, half yeah. board. Otherwise, he would be involved for sure. Right. But this whole solution, I mean, it, it, the first thing I thought of was Soren destroying a star in order to redirect the Nexus. And then my next thought was that this, this idea, we're, we're talking about the Borg sending a wave back that's going to actually destroy everything throughout the, the galaxy, and I would assume the universe, in fact. But even if it's just the galaxy, I don't understand how this plan of detonating this transwarp drive inside one pulsar is going to counteract what the Borg is doing. It, it seems like it's just a tech solution that only holds up if you do not think about it at all. And you just go, ah, sci-fi. Okay, let's go. Right, exactly. So this is where it gets really interesting. Picard starts playing chess with Guinan, and they talk about the idea that the Elorians are precognitive and they've been assimilated by the Borg, and so doesn't that mean that the Borg are actually going to know this plan, and so they're going to be able to counteract this plan, which I didn't understand where this came from because I didn't really know this about Elorians, that they're also precognitive um, well, and basically can kind of see the future. Well, I will say in the comic here, though, that Guinan does say that that's not really how it works. That's just, that's how Picard is seeing Guinan and the advice that she's given him in the past. But Guinan is saying that what we do is closer to pattern recognition. You know, it's not that we're actually seeing the future. Uh, I, I think that, you know, they're, they're a very, very long-lived species, the Elorians. And if you live that long, I would think that you, you would become very good at pattern recognition and being able to anticipate what's going to happen and the strategies that someone else, in this case, the Borg, are using just based on centuries of experience. Right. And so Picard talks to Janeway and they both have a pajama party which is really cute. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, I was going to say, you know you know that time travel is involved in this plan because Picard has changed into his bathrobe. Exactly. Um, it, you know, uh, they are having some tea. Um, she's also in her PJs. Again, it's very cute. <laughs> yeah. um, they're, they're having a nice heart-to-heart of a, a tea. I think they just got out of the onsen. And then, you know, they're relaxing after the onsen. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, (laughs) they'd had some private time, apparently. Um, But uh, so Picard says that his plan is different, that he wants to take the Enterprise and deliver the warhead himself because of um, his contact with the board as well as LaForge's. Um, And he says that... At least let me attempt another solution, one that re, uh, threads the future and not the past, so that both the Borg and the Federation survive and forge their own paths. And so, basically, he, he's he's saying, you know, I, I this plan is is something that has been adapting in me. Mm-hmm. So Janeway basically says yes, and they they go and they. Um, bring the Enterprise into this temporal field or, you know, wave. They enter it. Counselor Troy falls out of her chair. I feel bad for her. And they run into a hypercube, um, which is apparently not just a hypercube, but it's also a cube from the future of the Borg where they have made things perfect. 
they've actually been able to assimilate species 8472. Right. That was cool. Now, about the hypercube, I think of it kind of like Rubik's Cube and Rubik's Revenge. Remember when Rubik's Cube was no longer challenging enough and they made Rubik's Revenge and they added the extra row onto the cube? I think for the Borg, Hypercube is kind of like that. It's a new challenge. Right, exactly. And I mean, this cube is, it's really nice. Um, It looks great on the outside. It looks really symmetrical. And But the Species 8472 assimilation, this was pretty cool. And how about this in the middle of the page here on page 21? You've got the the close-up headshot of Species 8472 with the eyepiece on going over its head. It's been assimilated. Isn't it pretty awesome? It's great. I love this. I, I think it's really, really, really cool. Um, the fact that this has happened. I mean, obviously, the Borg's biggest nemesis here, except for mm-hmm. humans. And so, Picard says that he know he doesn't want to abandon his ship. And you know, Data tells him, "Look, it's already lost." And so, um, he asks Geordi to be able to beam him through the temporal distortions. And Jordy gives him a great, you know, uh, techno babble reason. He can m- micros, uh, use a microscopic transwarp conduit to be able to beam one person over. And of course, that person needs to be Picard. And they also realize this something really neat that the Borg have kind of reached their perfected nature that they've been looking for. And so these future Borg only work in prime numbers. Um, and that was they, an interesting twist. And so yeah. I thought that that was really cool too. And they realized that there's only 10 at this outpost. And so, of course, Picard's, well, I need to find the 11th. And that's the one I want to talk to. And so he ends up beaming down to this planet. And it's the first scene from the comic. Except yeah. now Picard is there. And he he has a confrontation with and basically talks the Borg out of their plan. I was a little surprised at how quickly the Borg acquiesced here. You know, Picard's like, you don't need to do this. You need to stop. You must adapt. And then suddenly we will, we will. (laughs) Well, and I, yeah, it is, it is a really interesting idea because you've got, um, this idea that Picard says that you can't really rewrite what's already been written in history. Mm -hmm. Um, mm-hmm. even if you try. And so you can only write the future, basically. And that goes, and, and trying to rewrite the past really does, uh, in this way, goes against everything that it means to be Borg. If they complete their plan, their whole thing is to adapt. Well, if everything's mm-hmm. Borg, then there's nothing to adapt to. And they've lost their ability to find perfection, basically. So who they are as Borg is going to be lost. So when I thought about it more, I thought, wow, he really basically word jujitsu the Borg the same way Kirk would do a, you know, a, a, a robot that, that they yeah. faced, you know? Oh, and yeah, so yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. he really did. And, and of course it, it ends, which I thought was kind of cool with, with, the little girl being like, will you play with me? And Picard says, yes. And that's the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it's it's kind of cool that it doesn't end in a big battle or anything like that. It just ends with Picard doing some linguistic jujitsu. And mm-hmm. uh, the Borg are like, 
Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, peace out. We'll see you later. Yeah. Uh, call <laughs> us next time. You're in the Delta Quadrant. <laughs> yeah. That was the part that was kind of odd. That's like, oh, yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we'll leave you alone now. We'll fix everything the way that we screwed up and, and yeah, everything's Really okay. sorry cool. about that. Um, you We're lost cool, a couple of ships. Uh, yeah. That one with Palin on it. The other one with Obama. My bad. We'll, we'll, um, we'll get you some new ships. Uh, we'll right. send those in the mail. We'll fix your little ships. Exactly. <laughs> but so, the, the idea, I mean, and what Picard says to her here from a human perspective too, you know, part of the message there is that you, you can't rewrite, you can't change the past. You can't rewrite history. You have to adapt and move forward. And, and if you want to seek perfection, or in our case, if we want to improve society, we have to, to learn and adapt. We can't go back and rewrite because people are trying to rewrite history all the time. Right, and and it's the only thing you can do is to to really learn from history, and and I think that's the the true goal of what um, what it means to adapt, to become mm-hmm. different, um, to change, and um, yeah, it, it is kind of interesting, it, a great message in a, in a comic about that idea, and and again, to me personally, I just really love the artwork in this comic. I I I think it looks fantastic. It looks great on the Retina screen too. So. Uh, for me, yeah. I, I'm going to give this. Um, I'm going to give this ten out of ten, and, and even with the issues we had uh, with it, I'm going to give this ten out of ten. Doctor Crushers <laughs> from page eleven. Just yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it as well. I thought, uh, like I said at the beginning, I wish that this had been a television episode or a film. I think it would have made a very, very interesting story. I think the techno babble gets a little bit ridiculous at times, but it is a comic, and uh, it, and it is the Borg, and it is post Voyager, and so that kind of goes with the territory. So I'll give it nine hypercubes. Oh gosh, man, that's awesome. Is, that's a very formidable rating. Nine. It hypercubes. is. It's sufficiently formidable. So. <laughs> Well, the next one, Chris, uh, that we're going to go to is um, the Cardassian comic. And now I I thought that this was important. You know, Chris, you don't normally think that you should read this cover page here. You know, the one that kind of tells you about the comic. But this one Mm -hmm. is actually really important. And so it's this idea that that the Dominion War is over. Um, The Allies, you know, have been victorious. and, And 800 million Cardassians have died. And, you know, because of betraying their Dominion allies. And so the founder who slaughtered them is in a prison there at the Federation of Planets. And she's being kept safe as a critical component, they say, of the Dominion surrender uh, that ended the war and, and safeguarded it against more violence from the Jem'Hadar. Um, and, and then it says a very important line. Not everyone is satisfied with this arrangement. Um, yeah, I didn't read this the first time through. And Neither so I, I missed kind of the what was going on in the comic because I will be honest from the beginning this comic is 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 not very fluid. It does not no. have a good through line kind of telling me exactly what's going on. So I, I was the same way. I didn't read this at the beginning either. But uh, I I pretty quickly figured out what was going on. In terms of, you know, just knowing what happened after DS9 and knowing what was going on in Cardassia. 
uh, especially at the point where he starts talking about how the Cardassian government has accepted handouts from the Federation and allowed Bajorans on our soil. And so I figured out, okay, this is the, the reconstruction that's going on after the war. And, you know, like this guy isn't cool with it. But nevertheless, like all through this, the story is just, even if you did read that opening, I feel like the story is just so disjointed and it makes so many assumptions and the characters look so dislike Kira and Garrick in particular. Garrick looks so dislike Garrick that it's hard to even know who's talking at times and why they're saying the things that they're saying and what they're talking about in the first place. So the main storyline, and I don't think we're going to walk through this one like we just did with the board. No, we're not. Is that... Um, these these Cardassian agents beam onto the the Federation prison, and they um, all split up as they beam. So they all go into different areas. One of them accidentally beams into the wall. Which wow, that looked horrible. <laughs> Looks really was, painful. Yeah. Rematerializing yeah. in something solid. Well, some of them are beaming onto the outside of this facility right, too, aren't right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so they're just beaming in all different places, trying to. It looks like, obviously, take over different parts of this this compound so that they can kill the founder. And we find out that that one of them was actually working with the resistance during the um, occupation that. Um, the the dominion had of of, of Cardassia, um, and worked with Garrick as well. And we also find mm-hmm. out that this Cardassian is somebody who was actually half Bajoran and actually yeah. hated Cardassians. Which which okay, because so that made sense within the story. One problem I had with the artwork is that when they drew this character, who is Demos, I believe, right, is his name. Yes. They most of the time they don't draw him with the Bajoran nose ridges. They do it in a close up once where he explains that his mother was a Bajoran farmer who was raped by these reptiles, as he says. And because Kira tells him that, you know, if this works, then maybe, you know, our two people can come together. And he says, well, unless you've pledged allegiance to the Cardassians, I don't know what you're talking about because I'm, you know, I hate the Cardassians. He sees himself as Bajoran, but. But most of the time when they draw him, he doesn't have the nose ridges. And that makes it even more difficult, as I was saying a moment ago, to figure out who's talking and who the characters are on the page. It it is really difficult. Um, So basically, all in all, it comes down to the fact that um, this guy really, really hates Cardassians. And their whole goal is to kill the founder. So that it'll restart the war for the for the Cardassians with the Dominion, and the the Cardassians will be wiped out. And Garrick basically Completely. is yeah. able to stop them. That's kind of the gist of the storyline. But as right. you said, it's just kind of this muddled mess throughout it, trying to kind of figure out what's a flashback, what's not, where are we going with this? Um, and it is it was very difficult for me to to just really figure it out. And it ends. With the idea, though, which was which was great, are we going to move forward or are we going to go back? So you've got a face-off 
between Demos and Garrick, and and the question is, you know, what do we do? And and, and Garrick even asks, is it is it revenge or is it rebirth for the Cardassian people? Um, and and it ends there, um, which yeah. was interesting because it's not even really a good ending. Um, no, it's, <laughs> so well, no, it was it's just confusing because I mean, at one point you think Demos died, and then then he's having a face off, and maybe I don't this know, is whole- like face off. With John Travolta ah, and maybe. and okay. you know where yeah. he switched faces. That's right, what happened. Right. That's why he doesn't have the nose ridges maybe. as much. So this comic is is a mess. I will say that visually, the art is really beautiful. If you're just looking at the art and you're not reading the story, it's really nicely done. The transporter effects look absolutely gorgeous on the Retina display. And I like the style of the Cardassians. I like the way that they're drawn. But once you start reading the caption bubbles, you can't follow what's going on in the story. Uh, the The idea behind the story is interesting. The idea of trying to, you know, going to this Federation prison facility that's just like an orb out in space to kill the female changeling to try to reignite the war so that all the Cardassians will be killed, not just 800 million. Uh, there, there's something there, but I don't, I don't feel like they achieved it at all in this comic. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Chris. I, I really don't feel like the comic does justice to the story that it's trying to tell, unfortunately. And it is a good story. Uh, it would have been a much better story if it hadn't been so darn confusing. Um, and uh, the beauty of the artwork does overshadow the fact that I can't tell the difference between uh, Demos and Garrick. Um, right, yeah. Or the fact that Kira doesn't look anything like Kira. Um, no. And so it's 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 very frustrating that that is the case. And so um, all in all, I'd, I'd give this um, probably um, two odd-looking Kiras out of ten. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to give it two Cardassian facelifts. Ah, excellent. Yeah. It does look yeah. like everybody did get a facelift. So, I mean, they look does, really nice. Yeah. So, well, Chris, right. what's really exciting, and we saved something really interesting and fun for the for last, is the last alien spotlight we're going to do tonight, and that's Andorians. And anybody who knows Trek FM knows that we love Andorians here. I mean, I have an Andorian ship named after me. We love Andorian fight scenes. Um, my captain in star trek online is an andorian female so and she kicks some serious ass as i said in news my favorite color is blue there you go i mean so (laughs) apparently we are bleeding blue tonight and we're going to end with the andorians and and this was really interesting too because the other two comics take place kind of in the same time period that um that after the dominion war after voyagers gotten home all that kind of stuff probably this takes place in the next generation time period firmly in you know the enterprise d um all of that and we are we start off in fact in 10 forward and you've got the classic um you know season three through you know season seven uniforms everything and we start with the enduring crew member Sherrod, um and he's recording just his personal log there in the busiest right. place on the ship now, of course, he's not actually a crew member of the Enterprise, but he is a Starfleet commander. He has managed to book passage on the Enterprise 
to get back to Andoria because the Enterprise was already on its way there. So the Enterprise was taking blood to Andoria. Yes, they were, which is very nice of them to do. Um, and uh, so he's sitting down. He's having a nice drink. And who should come over but Counselor Troy? Um, she wants to talk. She says, you know, I haven't really seen you with anybody on the the uh, ship on your trip here. Um, get it? Trip. And uh, <laughs> and I just want to make sure everything's going okay. Um, and he says, well, you know, I just really like the holodecks. You have some great programs, um, which apparently he was playing not only with Worf's calisthenics program, but Riker's programs as well. Um <laughs> And maybe he was also playing with Barclay's program. And when Troy walked over, he said, Oh, the goddess of empathy. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. I mean, uh, uh, you know, uh, counselor Troy, that's the one. Um, I thought it was interesting. They do have this conversation about the idea that, you know, there aren't a lot of Andorian crew members with them or even have been on the enterprise. And so she says, we've never had any Andorians, which, you know, it's it's very interesting. And so they, they talk about this and, and he says, you know, look, I, I just want to be blunt. It's not so much the fact that, you know, anybody's treating me madly. Everybody's treating me great. I've had a good time on the Enterprise. I, I, I really like it. He, he just says, you know, I'm an intelligent officer and I see reports every day about the, the um, safety of the Federation being at stake with all the different things that come across my desk. And, you know, I, I, I would be pretty troubled about that. I think you would be too. Um, it, it's it's a it's a lot to to hold on to, and you know, being a yeah. security officer like he is, and a um, intelligence officer, you don't really get to share that information with anybody. So you do have to keep it all bottled up. That's right. Did you uh, did you notice that Troy apparently is being played by Marissa Tomei in this comic? Yeah, she does look like a lot <laughs> like Marissa Tomei. Um, which wouldn't Marissa Tomei make an interesting Troy? She she actually really would, yeah. Yeah. So. so, but you're talking about this conversation that they have here, and and what I I find interesting here about this Andorian charade is how his facial expressions change in the conversation. It's like you say just the slightest thing wrong to him, and he gets this really really pissed off expression on his face. Yeah, not only he really does, and and and. Um, you know, not only that, but you can tell too, cause his antenna will go straight back, yeah. you know, like he's just right. really, really mad at you. They go straight back when he does the talk to the hand thing right here to Troy. Exactly. In the middle of page eight. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they have the conversation anyway, and they, they arrive at Andoria and this I found interesting too, like in, especially in the JJ movie and the 2009 movie when we see the scenes of spock as a kid on vulcan and how the other vulcans are picking on him for being half human sort of similar here where sherrod goes down uh, to andoria he is immediately confronted by three young andorians who are are jumping on him they say looks like some poor pink skin got so cold he turned blue and they're really ragging on him for being in Starfleet and telling him that he has sold out to the humans. Yeah, I thought this was really interesting. One, this comic comes out after Enterprise. And so they are using everything that we know from Enterprise about Andoria. Um, also, they're really answering a very interesting question. 
why don't we ever see any Andorians on the next generation, especially if we know that they're a founding member in the Federation? What What is the reason for them not being around? You know, I mean, you would think on a ship of that many thousands of people on the Enterprise D, you'd have at least one Andorian. I mean, that's, right. that's kind of crazy. So um, this comic actually goes to answer that question of, of during this time period, why we do not see any Andorians throughout all of the next generation. Deep Space Nine actually talks about Andorians every once in a while. You'll you'll hear them referenced. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we don't actually get a chance to see any. And so I just thought it was very interesting. We're actually going to talk about that in this comic. And and, and one of this, this idea is, is that Andoria is having this internal struggle with itself that a lot of Andorians want to kind of, and it's almost kind of in a Klingon way. They want to go back to their roots, you know, be their own people, something that somebody fears, you know, I mean, they're, they're tired of uh, at least the, the, the old way, the, the old ways people are kind of portraying it as we're, we're just the lap dogs of the Federation. Right. Um, and, and but so it's a little bit different because with the Klingons, the Klingons feel like they, and and here we're talking, you know, DS Nine, especially around during that time period, the Klingons feel like they've lost something from the past, right? And they want to go back and and take greater control of of themselves. You know, actually, now that we're talking about this, it 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 reminds me, it's like Galran is Putin. You know, it's like ah. Putin's trying to reconstitute the Soviet Union, apparently, right now. And that's what the Klingons remind me of when they come back in the way of the warrior and you feel like they're wanting to regain themselves. But what's different about this is that the Andorians are a founding member of the Federation. So whereas the Klingons just feel like they've maybe lost something in terms of how they're viewed by the rest of the quadrant, Alpha Quadrant, Beta Quadrant, the Andorians feel like they've sold out to this greater union that they're part of and they want to have their independence and they want to go back. Exactly. Um, and I mean, they even have this, uh, they have meal at his, his parents' house. Um, they're talking about, you know, the, the differences between Andoria and, and especially a lot of the other species in the Federation, you know, they, they don't really understand our marriages because, you know, we have four, uh, people in well, part of this who marriage. Who would understand an Andorian marriage? I don't know. It, it's a little bit like Dimnobulan marriages. I don't understand those either. Those are crazy. Um, and so they're, they're talking around the table, and it, it's just very interesting. It gets really awkward for him because his parents start talking about when is he going to settle down and, yeah. and you know start his family. And luckily, his um, <laughs> his friend um, comes to the door, uh, Thorin. And uh, obviously somebody, too, that he's very close to, and, and they're hoping that would, they would find another, you know, bondmate group to, to bond with to create a family. And so yeah. they go out and have a drink, and they're talking about this idea that, you know, um, these old wares are really starting yeah. to come back on Andoria. Can I can I just interrupt though? Because we passed the page here. When they're when they're having the family dinner though, and they say, Speaking of marriage, when are you and Thrin going to hunt up another pairing and get married yourselves, Ortiz? And this this illustration of Sharab 
like choking and spitting out his food is one of the most hilarious things that I have seen in a comic. It is really funny. And not only that, but like one of his family members is like laughing so hard he's crying in the in the he foreground. So he's got tears, tears coming out of his, his face. Eyes. Yeah. Yes. It, 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 they do a really good job of just kind of uh, capturing, you know, this idea of, of being an Andorian family and, um, you know, sitting around and talking about all these issues. And so, yeah, yeah I really it's do love funny. that. It's great. Um, all right. So back to what you were saying. They're in the bar. They're talking about the, the, the old wares and what what they're uh, kind of. It's sort of a, right. and it's a movement, like right, an anti-federation exactly. movement that's going on. Um, and and so um, they 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 leave that bar because things are looking like they might get heated, and they're walking, and they get attacked, or at least Sherrod does, and he wakes up and he's in a cell, and it turns out that his girlfriend, something bondmate, whatever you want to call it on Andoria, there is actually one of the leaders of this old wares movement mm-hmm. and yeah. she's she's brought him to their general um because uh she basically one would like him to turn but two he's an intelligence officer and so they want the intelligence that he has and as if he's going to give it to them and these people are called the THA the true heirs of andor that's the name of this group that's trying to force a split with the Federation. Exactly. Um, which really plays the Sherrod's um, benefit here because basically he's able to challenge the general to one of those, you know, honor fights the same way mm-hmm. that Archer did to Shran. Yeah. And of course the general can't back down because if he did, he'd look like a pansy in front of his men. And like, he didn't really want to bring the old ways back. And he so, looked like the Klingon from the the Return of the Serpent comic that we did. Right, exactly. <laughs> Two run weeks away, ago. <laughs> run away. Um, so we do get this. We do get the fantastic uh, scene. You know, I'll take your blood back to Endoria. Uh, whole kind of thing. You know, they've got the mm-hmm. ice, the ice picks. They've got the string. You know, where they've got their their fists locked, um, and they have this epic fight, which is really awesome. And luckily, it ends with, I mean, I, I, a shocker, uh, spoilers, if you haven't realized, Sherrod wins. Uh, he no. actually, yeah, he actually gets the guy in the back. Like, he pulls him, uh, kind of kind of like in Mortal Kombat, you know, where Scorpion would shoot out his thing, and he'd pull him to him, and then he'd, like, punch him a lot. Uh, for anybody who knows that reference. And then, you know, basically the same thing happened here. You know, th- that's great. That's what we need. We need, see, Star Trek is a franchise. They need to market themselves more with things like video games. Andorian fight scene, the video game oh, for PlayStation awesome. 4 and Xbox. That's what we need. And, and like you said, then it would be more like that Mortal Kombat kind of thing here. Because that's what it looks like in a lot of these frames. Yeah, it looks really, really good. And so um, at the end, uh, the idea is that, you know, he says, you know, you're not going to kill me. It doesn't matter at this point. You know, the the General Kovan said it himself um, that he was more important than anything you could get out of me. He was your best strategist and your strongest leader. So with with him dead you know, Sherrod has actually been able to put this movement to the end. And, and what's mm-hmm. crazy about this is that 
He's used this whole trip with the Enterprise, his work as an intelligence officer, to gonna basically do this off the books and save his people and their role in the Federation. Um, because now, by being able to, to help curtail this movement, he's going to be able to help the you know the enduring people stay a part of the Federation, which um, big big shoes to fill for for just one Andorian. Unless, do you think he's a Section Thirty One agent? Oh gosh, that's a great question. And you know they don't do any more Andorian comics. Um, there isn't another one, so I guess that's a good question. But uh, he says, you know, I. I've done what I set out to do by cunning and skill, passion and honor. I'm true Andorian and I'm prepared to die. And the last frame is, are you? Yeah. So uh, I got to say, uh, Chris, um, that's one. I, I enjoyed the artwork as we talked about. There's some great uh, facial expressions, some really funny scenes. Um, I thought it was really well done. Just kind of the 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 white and the blues that they use and the borders and everything it really fits the whole idea obviously that we're on a cold planet of Andoria I thought they captured the Andorians pretty well yeah I, I will say when they printed this on paper I think the printer had to uh, really stock up on cyan ink yes <laughs> <laughs> definitely it was a good story how does this play into the literature and the you know Andorian crisis and Andorian split from the Federation. Do you well, think it's just you know, a coincidence, or do you think that builds on this comic story? Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if they were going for anything that happened in the books with the Andorians. You know, because uh, you know that uh, the Andorians, you don't ever get the the, the feeling that they weren't um, happy with the Federation until they realized that that information had been withheld for them you know they they didn't they didn't have a problem with with the federation in the books until that point mm-hmm. when the, when it was made public that the that they had withheld information which honestly you know if you read vanguard you know that um the federation really didn't even realize it had this information because it was so deeply buried mm-hmm. and, and and had been so put away you know that very very few people even knew that this information existed in the federation at all so it wasn't like you know the federation president every time he met the the ambassador fan doria snickering to himself thinking ha, your people are dying um you know they don't know so yeah um yeah i just thought that this was an interesting way of of kind of answering a question that maybe fans didn't even know they had why aren't there any andorians during that especially that TNG phase of uh, Star Trek. And I thought that this did a, an interesting job of, of saying that it had been kind of an internal thing that they have kind of pulled themselves away a little bit um, because of this growing sense that they had lost their way as Andorians, maybe. Um, and who was going to win that intellectual um, and kind of spiritual battle for the heart of Andoria. So mm-hmm. um, I, I think all in all, it, when you think of it that way, it makes it even better comic to me. So I'm going to give this nine and a half bond mates out of 10. Well, yeah, I think this made a good story too. It was a very interesting story and it could be expanded upon, like you could do a whole series of comics, like an ongoing series of comics about this Andorian crisis 
with the Federation. You could go back to when this movement started. You could tell this whole story, and then you could tell what happens beyond this one. So whereas with the Cardassian comic, we felt like there was an idea there, but it just wasn't, I wouldn't even say it was poorly executed. It was, it wasn't executed. <laughs> and the Cardassian comic ends with the end question mark. Yeah. And like, well, I don't know, you, you, you had a chance to follow it up in the, in the next series of spotlights, but you didn't. So I guess it is the end. <laughs> this one, on the other hand, um, is, is a really, really interesting concept and a really good story. And I'm going to give this one eight perky antenna, which actually represents a very happy Andorian marriage. Yes, yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that was fun going through Borg, Cardassian, and Andorian. And again, like you said, next week, we'll be going through the others in this series, which include the Gorn, the Vulcans, the Orions, and the Romulans. And uh, then maybe we'll we'll kind of reflect back on the entire uh, first set of Alien Spotlight comics at that point as well. Well, this isn't the only thing we've been talking about on the network this week, so here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Where no man has gone before, comic versus episode. They talk about how we just picked up this psychiatrist from uh, from Alderbon. Alder shoot Alderon. This is called Alderon. Earl Grey. All good things. In a universe where Troy is dead, the Enterprise D lives on. Is all <laughs> I want to say. It's the only thing that matters. The Ready Room. Simple defense. Ducat recorded messages, obviously, for a lot of different um, scenarios. Isn't it funny to think of him, like, you know, whatever, 10 years before this episode, like, yeah. you know, putting a day aside. It's like, I have to do, I have to sit in front of a camera <laughs> and just think of ways they could screw us. The orb. Till death do us part. His are, are, are very quizzical in nature. They, they're of the scientist. They're of the somebody who who is willing to accept, okay, where what is this reality? What's going on? She's just all like, tell me what to do right now. You know, like, there's nothing spiritual about her. To the journey! Voyager Season 4 Marathon. I was working full-time on top of being a full-time student, and I... Listen, I I don't want to hear your excuses, okay? I don't want to hear them. (laughs) Like, life was happening, and... A great man once told me, if something's important to you, you make the time. Warp 5. Organians on Enterprise. Part of what this episode of Enterprise is about for me is it's the search for the Organian society to to find compassion again. Commentary, Trek stars. Cliff Bull and the X-Files, Bad Blood. It's actually kind of odd because the audience can piece together the narrative flow better than, you know, their boss. That's because their boss didn't have the uh, brilliant direction of Cliff Bull to uh, observe. Literary Treks. Greg Cox, no time like the past. The one thing I had to be very careful of, and this was another sort of potential minefield that I had to navigate, was nobody in Kirk's time knows who the Borg are. So she can't like, oh, hi, I'm seven of nine. I'm a former Borg. You know, they don't know the Borg. She has to be careful not to tell them the Borg. And introducing Continuing Mission, our newest show all about fan series and independent productions. Star Trek continues with Doug Drexler. 
everybody who does a Star Trek show in CG, the first thing they do is make the ship 947 feet long. Well, there's no way it's going to look the same because the ship that they shot on television wasn't 2,000 feet long. It was 11 feet long. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week, and some days we even have two shows for you. And you'll find them in a wide variety of places, including on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zoom, or you can download or stream from the website. So go grab some shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. If you'd like to send your thoughts on these comics or anything else we talked about today, I'm pretty sure, Matthew, that we're going to get some feedback about our Starship discussions. And uh, at least I know Daniel's going to write in to defend the J.J. Nacelles, right? I am sure that he will. (laughs) Um, I'm no doubt about it. If you want to share your thoughts on on anything, you can do that in a variety of ways. You can go to trek.film slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Literary Treks, and that will come to us by email. You can also send us a voicemail through the website, or you can go to our forums at trek.film slash forums to talk to us and other listeners about the shows. In social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and you'll find us tweeting away about Star Trek all the time on Twitter under username trekfm. And while you're out there, if you enjoy the show, we'd love for you to drop by iTunes and leave us a star rating and a written review. That does help other fans of Star Trek literature find the show when they search the iTunes store. It's not the easiest thing to find a show about Star Trek books and comics. So we really appreciate you helping us out there, helping fellow fans find the show. Plus, we just love to hear what you think about the show and about Star Trek literature as well. So again, only takes a minute to leave a star rating and a written review. And we really thank you for doing that. Now, Matthew, when you're not trying to figure out just who is Garrick in the Cardassian comic that we reviewed today, where can people find you? Well, Chris, you can find me there on um, Twitter at MattRushing02. Uh, we also do a show called The Orb where we talk about Deep Space Nine all the time. And so we talk about uh, Andorians every once in a while when they get mentioned on the show. Um, and then you can find me at my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Um, now, Chris, when you are not struggling to figure out is that Kira or is that not Kira? Is that Kira? Is that not Kira in comics? Where can we find you? I'll be staring at page 11 in the Borg comic where it's very, very obvious that that is Dr. Crusher. (laughs) (laughs) And then when I'm not doing that, you can find me on Twitter as well. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username, as well as on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And then elsewhere on the network, besides doing the orb with you, Matthew, you can find me on Warp 5, where we talk exclusively about Enterprise. You can find me on Matterstream, where I interview scientists and actors and writers and other people about things that are inspired by Star Trek or loosely related to Star Trek. You can find me on my new show, Continuing Mission, which is all about Star Trek fan series and independent productions. I've had Doug Drexler on there, as well as Alec Peters. More shows to come. And then you can find me every week with other hosts from all over the network on The Ready Room, where we talk about Star Trek books and comics and all five live-action Star Trek series. 
Before we let you go, we'd like to tell you about our sponsor once again for today's show, and that's audible.com and invite you to drop by, try out Audible and grab Harlan Ellison's The Voice from the Edge. I have no mouth and I must scream or anything else that you'd like to listen to. They have bestsellers. They have uh, new releases, lots of Star Trek books as well. Lots of things for you to choose from over 150,000 titles on Audible. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get any book you like absolutely free just for trying Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. And if you decide not to stick with Audible at the end of the trial, you get to keep that free audiobook. So there's nothing to lose, but by supporting Audible, you'll be getting some great literature to listen to, and you'll be helping us keep our shows coming to you as well. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we really thank Audible for their support of the network. And one more thing you can do to help us keep literary treks coming to you is to make a donation to the network. If you go to treknotafilm slash donate, you'll find different levels of contribution to choose from, and you'll find original alien illustrations, including some Andorians, just as we talked about today, available as buttons or art prints, and those are done by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on our website. And your donations help us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring not only literary treks, but all of our shows to you every week. So we really thank you for your support. Again, that's at trek.fm slash donate, and we thank you for helping us keep the network going. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.